Added Time is sponsored by Bank of Ireland, who are giving their place on the Leinster jersey to the Irish Heart Foundation for a day in support of the CPO for Schools programme. Ah, it's the end of an era. Poor Arson. Poor Arson. Mary Hannigan is with us this week. Uh, Pat Nugent is off in some European capital somewhere enjoying uh, the hospitality. Uh, Mary's come in to give us a hand with the Added Time podcast. Um, My phone has just gone ballistic with notifications. Arson, arson, arson. Out, out, out. The Wenger out people have finally got their way. Arson Wenger after 22 years. And now they'll be crying. But I kind (laughs) of never thought we'd see the day, really. I thought they would be there for at least another century. But it's sad. (laughs) Poor El Arson, he's produced many a fine team along the way. Maybe not in more recent times. But uh, October 1996... It is amazing it's that incredible. it's been that long. Yeah. I, I, I will always like Wenger. I th- and, mm. I, and I think and I think what we're going to find over the next day or two is an outpouring of love for yeah. this guy. Even Piers th- Morgan. That just reminds you that he should have done this about four years ago, you know? He, he may realise that now, finally. Yeah. Gosh, having got dog's abuse for so long. Um, that yeah, he, he might have thought, damn, should have done So it. he has decided to leave at the end of the season. And funny enough, there's... Um, there's a documentary. I don't know if we'd be able to see it in Ireland, but there's a documentary coming up uh, this weekend or later next week on Channel 5 in England called The yeah. Feud. Right. Uh, and it's, you know, between him and Ferguson Bergie, and yeah. between the their United and, and Arsenal teams yeah. of that era. Um, and it's... Wenger, to me, will always mean that. Yeah. That time. Yeah. That time in, in our lives when those two teams beat the living shit out of each other. Yeah. Um, I think Wenger probably should have known his time was up when I saw him a few months back saying that he got like some supportive messages from Ferguson, so which was a pure indication that like just Arsenal were no threat anymore. And that I always loved though as a time when when Ferguson's contempt for him yeah. and 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 vice versa, and then you know bounds between each other. <laughs> I remember one time Ferguson. Um, uh, I sneering at uh, reporters saying, you call this guy the professor <laughs> you know, just because he speaks a few languages. I have a 15 year old Cameroonian kid inside who speaks five languages. Nobody calls him the professor. Fergie had a major chip. A serious chip. Yeah, and yeah. at the same time uh, I don't know if it was in or around that time, I guess it was. Wenger had by far my favourite quote from a football manager in a press conference ever where they were talking about... Uh, I think it was it was about styles of football or whatever, mm. and he said, "But of course, everyone thinks they have the prettiest wife at home." <laughs> Which in the pantheon of yeah. manager quotes is way way up way there. Way up there, way up there. I just can't imagine him retired though. Mm. Can you see him gardening or kind of stamp collecting or anything? Mm, yeah, I do wonder. I wonder will he be a bit like Ferguson, a bit mm-hmm. of a kind of uh, club elder sitting in the stands, right, yeah. huffing and puffing at how shite it has all <laughs> become now that he's not in charge. But mind you, Ferguson can do that because he won the league in his this final is year. It, yeah, Whereas yeah. Arsenal's success is a little time it's ago not going at this out point. not high, really. Unless the Europa League, but I, I'm not sure that's quite what the board there were kind of hoping for. No, but again, like that, you know, the, the momentum 
imagine this is you well I could be wrong but I, I would imagine the momentum this will throw behind Arsenal mm. for the last weeks of the season when there's absolutely nothing else yeah. of interest going on yeah. uh, in English football apart from mm. Liverpool and the Champions yeah, League but yeah. like Everything Premier League is, is over sorted, is done yeah. and dusted it's true. Uh, like the momentum that will get behind Wenger now get mm. him going out on a high all yeah. that stuff of course it'll be magnificently Arsenal-ish for him <laughs> to get them to a Europa League final and get spanked on the day or whatever <laughs> It would. It would kind of be the perfect full stop, really. It would mm. sum up. But I will. I'm being... definitely going to enjoy now for the next week. There'll be a lot of retrospectives on Arsene yeah. Wenger and his effect mm. and all that kind of stuff. And he was. He's a genuinely legendary figure. Completely. And just the sight of his like rage on the touchline yeah. and kicking water bottles and having major like the number of managers like he had monster fallings mm. out with. Just a passionate lad. And uh, yeah, certainly in the earlier days produced some fairly lovely football it has to be said so good luck Arsenal Valet Arsenal and uh, enjoy whatever it is you do next Um, we have rugby this weekend we have the London Marathon this weekend Ian O'Reardon's going to come in and chat to us about that a little later on myself and Mary are going to geek out on the snooker that is starting on Saturday um, morning but first of all we have Gavin Comsky and John O'Sullivan in to talk about an epic Champions Cup uh, semi-final weekend. Leinster are at home on Saturday to Scarlets. Munster are in Bordeaux playing Racing on Sunday. And it seems to me, to my untrained eye lads, that the whole thing is coming together in a most uh, happy way for Irish rugby. And I really don't see any reason, Gav, that uh, we're not going to have an All-Ireland final in Bilbao in a couple of weeks. Um, No, it does look like we're going to get... Like one of the best sporting events I ever went to was the 2009 semi Leinster Munster Crow Park. It's still I don't know how we can ever get close to that again because of because of the stadium. But uh, yeah, Scarlets can tear Leinster open. We've seen them do it last season. There's no reason why they can't do that again. Um, Leinster are a slightly better team now. Uh, Scott Fardy being the major thing there. Um, Munster ha- and the Munster racing games the last four times they played since January 2017. Um, have been fascinating, really close matches. Um, so Munster will firmly believe they can. Their some of their parts is better than the couple of superstars, the Teddy Thomases or whatever in the racing setup. But yeah, it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility that. Uh, no, that's, I'm not going to say that. No, definitely no. <laughs> one of Leinster and Munster are definitely going to win this weekend. Leinster eleven point favourites. I just can't see them. Uh, they've learnt all the lessons from losing to Scarlets before. And Munster, yeah, it's possible that racing can to beat them, but in a in a like a, they know that they eyeball racing, they can beat them. They've done it. They really should have won in the U Arena, uh, in the game where Machino uh, kicked them kicked them to death, and they it was a, just they got hit by a kind of a just a sucker punch try that um, that did them. And Donica Ryan was brilliant for racing. Well, we'll no, start. I'm, we'll I'm we'll start with Leinster, John. Um, the Scarlets, like the idea that that you know. 11-point favourites I looks very big to me now, uh, especially against a team that Leinster didn't lay a glove on last year when they met in a knockout game. Yeah, very much so. I think the, the bookies are really wrong, but it's very, very surprising that they Leinster are this heavily fancied. If you look at it uh, dispassionately, you would say that Leinster had no James Lowe, Luke McGrath, that issue at scrum half, changing around the team, having a player come back for his first appearance, uh, Robbie Henshaw, after an injury, which is a remarkable comeback. 
uh, and shows his ability to, to rehab very good. Yeah, absolutely Two freakish. After his but shoulder was destroyed. All those things, and even prepping, if you look at their performance of a different team against Benetton, there are lots and lots of issues with Leinster that you're backing on them, everything going well for them, that Johnny Sexton comes in, drives the, the, the team, and that everything will be all right. If you, if you dig a little deeper in terms of the composition of their team, like the Scarlets will have a straight an advantage in straight line speed on the two wings. If they can get the ball out there, it's going to be a huge problem for Leinster. If you look at Hadley Parks and Scott Williams have racked up the most metres. Uh, so they, they tend to, um, to work very well in, in midfield in creating opportunities out wide. And also the Scarlets are brilliant at the breakdown. And if Leinster aren't accurate there, Scarlets are superb at turnover ball, and that will be a real problem for Leinster because if they do get it into the wide channels, then they have an advantage uh, speed-wise. I just remember last year going into the Pro 12, as it was, semi-finals and then final. Uh, even though Scarlets were playing great rugby, uh, Munster in the semi-final and Leinster in the final. Um, other way around. Other way around, apologies. Yeah. Uh, everybody just took them to took them too lightly or dismissed them or, or whatever well when I stepped back from it a couple a while later at the time actually Scottish has deserved a, and Tyke Byrne for that matter they deserved tremendous credit for the way they came here and uh, really 14 men after Steph Evans mm-hmm. was sent off yeah. beat Steph Leinster Steph fair and square here and then they just completely destroyed Munster in the mm-hmm. final and I stepped back, stepped back and looked at that and I went okay, the season ended, especially for every Leinster player who wants to go on the Lions tour after they lost to Claremont the week before. They shut down because they just weren't the same. Like, Sexton was not playing the same way he was playing. The, every player was like going, okay, I want to go on the Lions tour to New Zealand. It's the pinnacle of my career. I, I'm on the boat. Um, who cares about the Pro 12? Once uh, You see it, there's a massive... It, everyone falls off the cliff when you get knocked out of Europe. It's different. And Scarlets have never been in the European semi-final completely different ball game for Scarlets for them to try and replicate that is uh, is their challenge and I'm sure they'll get close to it but that's why Robbie Henshaw is back isn't it to make sure that those wingers don't get don't make sure Issa and Fergus McFadden who are complete the leaders two of the major leaders in the team but pace wise they ain't James Lowe or uh, Jordan Lamour so the whole thing is Henshaw has to come in and shut down that there's, they have to shut down the, uh, Levy talked this week I actually went specifically to ask Levy about Tyke Byrne because I knew they played against each other in school in a school's final in 2010 Clongos and Michaels when Levy was only 15 and he was like yeah me and me and Tyke were the two boys who uh, we came up from the academy and got shit beat out of us by the Leinster pack because they knew that uh, they wanted to keep us down so they were the two coming boys and that is true like Tyke Byrne's story I did a profile for him for Saturday he was kind of hidden in plain sight all the time. He was always there and it was just injuries. But then Levy said, Levy's key thing about him was, um, he goes, if we let him do what he has done to every team, Toulon, whatever this year, we're in serious trouble. Like, he has become the best forward in Europe and he just slipped through the Irish net. He's a really good example of how it can happen. You know? And it was that because of too many numbers, there was, there was too many people in that position when he was coming in and somebody people get their chances and he didn't and so he slipped away or, or how, how I remember it? looking at him when he came through and he came through to magnificent Klongos era and Michaels and Klongos both produced a bunch of players for the academy and I was surprised he got into the academy at the time even though I saw him and he was a very good second row in a really good Klongos team but it was Jordan Coughlin and Gilson and a bunch of lads Luke McGrath came through from Michaels there's 12 guys from his under 20s team in 2012 who've been capped and uh, I could go, you, I've, I've listed them all there's Conan the whole lot and uh, he came he was just under the radar Ian Henderson was the next great second row and he got two bad injuries at two moments where he was fighting for a contract 
and he just had to turn around to the 2000 they actually Leinster signed Ian Nagel instead oh, of I him I remember yeah they went with Ian Nagel instead of uh, Tyg Byrne which doesn't sound great now but it was at the time they were like you're injured all the time you haven't proved it in matches and Nagel was coming as well or well Nagel, had, Nagel had, time, had, yeah. had quit rugby and had almost established himself in Munster and then had walked away from the game and they, they saw someone who was probably a better bet to play regularly for Leinster uh, Byrne got saved by Lansdowne and by Leo giving him an extra two month contract just to get his highlights reel up so Scarlets could look and see something and uh, they, they signed an absolute gem he is on the verge of becoming I think next season he become Ireland, could be Ireland's best forward he's going to sh- definitely shift someone's going to get dropped some major name in the Irish pack is going to get dropped but for him well you'll see it in the weekend unless Levy stops him like that's how we lose the game him and a couple of guys is causing and Davis as well causing damage on the breakdown that's where that's where the Scarlets uh, turn Leinster over yeah I think Burns example is that you can be injured at the wrong time quite simply that um, you know he was injured for the guts of 18 months he didn't get an opportunity to prove in it I'm not so sure I think Burn the next step up to international rugby is still a significant step so I, I think he has the talent and the ability and he's proven on every level at club level that he he deserves his shot at international rugby and it'll be interesting to see how he goes in the summer tour what of legs John yeah yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think Peter Manley's the person who's the most in trouble there from him. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting because he's so good. Like his numbers at the breakdown for a guy his size are difficult to reconcile. Normally you have a small kind of James Davis type Dan Lee, smaller if you like, uh, player who's very effective at the breakdown. For somebody his size, six foot five, six foot six, to to have all the turnovers that he has. Like he's a comp- tournament leading sixteen for a second row. That's he's winning that's games off the charts with his yeah. work. At the breakdown, with big plays, it's he's the man all season. Okay, so what beyond that have, have Leinster to worry about? I think if you look back at the Saracens game and you look at the influence that James Lowe had in terms of how they scored, scoring try and creating a try, and you look at where where are Leinster going to, how are they going to be creative and how are they going to finish off the tries? So do they need to dominate up front? Will they be able to create enough pressure up front to force Clenetley, who have, don't have a brilliant penalty count? They concede a lot of penalties, and that, that certainly could be a way for, for Leinster to, to kind of get a bit of a gap on the scoreboard, and it'll be really important. I think Leinster have to be, uh, have to be dominant. They've got to hang on to the ball. They've got to be very accurate at the breakdown. And then you, there's a little bit of pressure on Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose to try and be, you know, create something along with Jonathan Sexton, who's been superb. Um, those three will have a, a huge influence on Leinster's ability to score tries and they will need to score tries they will not win this match with five penalties to you know I think the Scarlets will score tries so therefore Leinster will need to score they're a better team Leinster Leinster are a better team than the Scarlets team they're in, even, when, even with the Luke McGrath effect which loses two players um, they've just taken a massive step since last season Luke uh, or Fardy's impact he runs the line at everything like that like we haven't even talked about Tyke Furlong or James Ryan or Levy, who are these dominant Grand Slam lads. Larmer, who Schmidt has promoted and who was on the pitch in Twickenham on Paddy's day, he can't. Like he's, I think he's going to be on the bench, but he he can't uh, get get near the team because he's not defensively sound. He hasn't earned his stripes. Ironically, he's an international Grand Slam winner, but he hasn't earned his stripes in this Leinster team. Like I. And now, I don't mind putting my neck on the line because what they did to, to Saracens, what they did to the champions of Europe was just, you just, 
this this is the best team in Europe. We are Leinster are the best team in Europe, and for them to, to not get the job done against Scarlets, you can lose a final against Racing or arguably Munster turning them over would be not beyond the realms of possibility. But they're not getting done by Scarlets. Well, let's move on to Munster and Racing. It's uh, another interesting uh, game because it has sort of. I don't know, you you wouldn't necessarily say it has opened up for Munster, but they look to be in reasonable shape and there is there is very little between these two sides in the last four times they've met. Isn't that right, John? Yeah, very much so. Uh, Munster will, will feel confidence. I think one thing that if you if you examine the performance of the French sides and if you look back at the two long games, specifically in Thoman Park, the French sides play like, uh, you know, kind of strictly come dancing, quick step, slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. They cannot play at a high tempo all the time. And that's a massive issue. If you can survive, if, if Munster can survive the bursts of energy and dynamism from Racing and not concede too much during those periods, then they can raise the tempo and they can cause, as they did, as they have done in all the matches they've played, they can cause Racing real problems because Racing don't have that lung capacity to play at that high tempo for 80 minutes. So you, so Munster will get opportunities to score as they have done in the past and they know they know how to do it. And it's, it's a real problem for, for Racing going into the game because they can't sustain that high tempo. And they've got a lot of big men, but the big men don't go for 80 minutes. The big men don't go for 60 minutes. The mm. big men play in fits and starts. And Munster will take confidence from that. And like I say, if they can limit uh, what they can see during those bursts of energy. like it, Did they win in Claremont because of a Dan Carter cameo? He basically yeah, created absolutely. two tries. Dan Carter, past. 36 years old. This is his last, game, his last few games yeah. before he goes to Japan for a bit of extra cash. And he just came on and just changed it. To win in Claremont is almost impossible, especially in European matches. Mm. Carter came on all eyes on him took all the play towards him stepped the guy handed off a guy and put the winger away um, yeah, and then he broke again that was like he was on the pitch four minutes and he changed the entire game he hasn't so, got 80 in it so he won't start so yeah. what they'll do is and they've got uh, Vakatawa the Fijian in the centre they're kind of a mix and match backline they've got some lethal players Teddy Thomas is a perfect example I mean he scores tries for fun he needs no space whatsoever you've got to, to kind of mind him very carefully but they don't have if you like that that I don't think they have the, the, the cohesion of a backline that has players playing in the positions in which they're best at. They've tried to cobble together something to, to survive in the centre. Individually, they're very good players, but that collective understanding, if they get the ball to Thomas, they'd be very, very dangerous. Could Munster, and their back three are excellent. Could Munster, it's not beyond the rounds possibility that Munster run out of steam. Like They have just done a two-match tour to South Africa, which they've... They turned into this really valuable thing where that CJ Stander goes I've home. Never, I have never come across uh, a, a two-week period in a team's life that is going to be judged completely on the next result. Mm, mm. Like this. Like All the South Africans don't go home. We're going into it this week and, and, oh man, look at them. They've been, on, they've been on the beach more or less. What a great bit of R&R. Oh, sure, they made a documentary though, Matt, where they were like, a, and you can, Van Grand's in it going, it's all about work. It's oh yeah, about, it was, but know. it's fantastic. It's a great two-week break. Uh, if they lose... Uh, on the weekend by Monday it's oh yeah South they, Africa really took it you out know, of them, you know they had two I watched both games they had two absolute belting matches mm. like the Cheetahs match was just so vicious like because there's so many South Africans in the Munster group uh, like the Cheetahs were coming straight at them there's a couple of cheap shots on Grabbler by the Cheetahs captain Grabbler was very good actually and should be in the team we know why not but he'll come off the bench and make a huge impact against his old team racing um, it's old Zebo against his new team racing Um 
there's lots in it, but it just that's a lot of travel and there's a lot of lot of problems there. Yeah. It all comes down and it probably all comes down to Conor Murray again, doesn't it? I think there's there's one thing that you look at. If you look at if you analyze those two games, the Cheetahs and the Southern Kings, the Southern Kings should have been miles ahead at halftime, they weren't. The Cheetahs should have been miles ahead at halftime, yeah. they weren't. Munster found a way in both second halves, they they improved their discipline. Uh, they recalibrated. They found they found the weak points, and they kept pushing and squeezing and pushing and squeezing, an and they won. Unbelievable try against the Southern Kings. Yeah, absolutely. And and they played. Uh, uh, they played. They found a way to win a match, to win two matches that they might have lost. Yeah, and, and, in times and you mentioned the discipline there, John. That has that was a, a, a shadow on their early part of their season, Very and it has. It. They have definitely improved that as as the year has gone on. Absolutely, it, there comes part of that is the trust and understanding of building a team. Sometimes you get individuals who are slightly impulsive. If you don't have that cohesion and understanding, they kind of jump out of a line to try and do some one and a half things rather than just the thing that they're supposed to do. And I think that understanding and that development as a team uh, is reflected in the way Munster's discipline has improved. They trust each other. There is that understanding. The team dynamic is very good. And I think that that's an area an area of huge improvement during the season. Those are Munster fans on tour in South Africa as well. Did you see that? They were in the crowd. Yeah, yeah. This is this is like the old school uh, Munster thing again. They're on their way down to Bordeaux mm. against a French team. They've no right to be there. They've no right to win. They'll have more fans. They're in the sunshine in mm. April and all this. Mm. Um, it's it's very reminiscent of 2000, isn't it? It is. There's mo- momentum building. The one thing you'd say with, with Munster is that they have to have the courage to go and win the game. They are not. If they get involved in an arm wrestle with a huge side, a huge pack in particular, uh, you know the Racing pack, that's going to prove a problem because that's exactly what Racing wants to do. They want a slowish game so that they don't have to. They're not draining the batteries in terms of a high tempo. Munster have to play with tempo. They've got to. They've got to trust themselves, back themselves. Obviously, yes, you've got to win collisions, all that sort of stuff. But they do have to play with pace, width, and tempo. And I think if they do that. Than how, how they do lose is Dunnock Ryan picks their line apart because mm. mm. he knows the calls he knows mm. how they do it and he, he beat them the last day yeah. with, with that restart that is something like, you tell know. me a bit about like the, the same with Leinster and, and Henshaw Earls really shouldn't be back by this stage either no but just playing too well and well he was and, limping and pushing himself pushing him pushing him to, I, to get himself in for it in Twickenham I was looking down on the pitch you were probably typing too much I was looking down on the pitch <laughs> and uh after the game and he's walking around with his kids and I went that's the end of his season I was so, really happy it was one of the kind of cool moments Keith Earls finally because he's, he's never won a medal for Ireland Keith Earls finally has a grand slam and a medal and he's strolling around the pitch knee in bits I was like yeah that's the end of him he owes no one nothing there's no way he's coming back from that injury he was limping along and like, I, I don't know how these lads get patched up after t- like in what is it in, like in less than six weeks or yeah. something like that. They do it for these games, I yeah. guess. They do it, you know. But this is it. There's Keith, all, all Keith, the chips are on the table. Keith Earls on the pitch, uh, playing the way Keith Earls, if he is fit, properly fit, playing the way he has been playing since the summer, since the summer, the summer tour last year, he was out of this world good, yeah. and he's maintained that. He scored a try against Racing that changed that game in the U Arena when he stepped in and weaved his yeah. way in. He is he is the Keith Earls that we saw. We all hoped he'd become when he was 20. We, he's now it, and he's been doing it for a year. Joe Schmidt loves him, and he's been trying to get him into his team for ages. Um, yeah, he could prove a game winner. Okay, let's uh, break it down. How many Irish teams in the final, Gavin? Yeah, yeah, no, it's Leinster, Munster, and Bilbao with um, everyone travelling to the Basque region for a bit of Rioja. And John? Oh, Rioja in the Basque region, yeah? I think so, yeah. <laughs> 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 I think that two provinces can reach the final. 
That's not I what I asked have, you. <laughs> I have one or two doubts. Um, who's gonna? Who's not gonna make it, then, John? I, I think there. Are, I think there are two hugely open games. Just gonna touch briefly on something Gav said about Keith Earls. This this is. Um, he he is happy off the pitch, and the maturity of his performance on it is mm. massive for his teammates. The other thing is that the way the composition of the Munster side, he's going to have to switch wings. Now, it's a, you might say it's a minor thing, but that balance in the back three is something that Munster will have to look at. And that's my way of avoiding the question you asked me. But if you're asking that's me... That's not I how th- this works, John. I know. I think, yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd go for the two provinces to win. Oh, this I, can possibly happen. But my I Lord. think it'll be... I think it'll be pretty fraught for the, the Saturday Sunday. Oh my God, the amount of this that we're going to be hearing on, until the weekend and then we're going to be sitting around on Monday going, hey, I thought we were all uh, going no to Bilbao. <laughs> yeah, the rugby season ends though, if they don't get it. Big time, well it certainly ends. Well, we, on we said that after the quarterfinals. certainly well, ends yeah. on this podcast anyway. Uh, listen, thanks a million for coming in, lads. Uh, just We didn't get to touch on it, but people really should check out this fantastic piece in the, in the Times today. Johnny Watterson has broken down the the horrendous season uh, on and off the pitch for uh, Ulster and uh, on another um, on another weekend we'd have more time to go into it and we'd get Johnny in here to talk about it but we don't have time this week but uh, people really ought to check it out it's fantastic stuff uh, John O'Sullivan and Gavin Comsky thanks a million for coming in and uh, we'll talk to you again Added Time is sponsored by Bank of Ireland, proudly supporting the Irish Heart Foundation and its CPO for Schools programme, equipping secondary school teachers and students with the skills to save lives. In the Irish Times weekend, the magazine marks the 20th anniversary of Sex and the City, the groundbreaking series that left a lasting legacy. Young, charismatic and bold, Lara Marlowe profiles the French President Emmanuel Macron. And on the precipice of an All-Irish Champions Cup final, Jerry Thornley and Matt Williams assess Munster and Leinster's chances this weekend. The Irish Times weekend. Your weekend's in good hands. So what else are we going to watch this weekend, Mary? Snooker loopy nuts are we? The Snooker World Championships. I always loved the... the I always managed... My memory of this is that I always managed to find myself with some sort of lurgy in or around the time of the World Championships. <laughs> Which meant a good sort of three or four days off school in the middle of the week. Wall to wall snooker. Wall to wall gas cooker, as we used to call it. Yeah. <laughs> so you were a big, big fan then. Yeah. I think there's something mesmerising about it. Even to this day now, there is something really mesmerising. My wife now will watch a, a heap yeah. of this snooker now. She'll in the evenings now next week. She becomes any snooker on. But every granny I ever knew was just hooked on the snooker, <laughs> too. <laughs> Did you find that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I suppose, it, you know, ain't the most technical sport to have to try and follow. Yeah, but why, like, why would you be hooked on snooker over, say, crown green bowls or something? Well, my what, granny what is, was my, would have been was, rightly into the old bowls as, <laughs> itself as well. But I think there was more, maybe just more personalities around yeah, and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, funny enough, uh, yeah, funny enough, um, uh, Donald Clark, the august uh, Donald Clark was writing yeah. in today's Irish Times um, about his favourite uh, sport of the year or sporting event of the year. Uh, and he has a good line where he says... Uh, Snooker is now popular enough to generate uh, buzz on primetime BBC TV, but not so popular that it attracts the half-interested riffraff. <laughs> I feel towards the half-interested riffraff as soccer fans feel towards me when I suddenly become interested in that sport as the World Cup blooms. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautifully put. And I think there's a bit of a revival. Is there? I think it went a little bit the way of darts, struggled for a while. 
But um, now I don't think it's ever going to get back to like 18 million viewers. Or indeed back to where Darts has, has well, got to well, now with, with its, yeah. its massive popularity. Yeah. But uh, it's... Um, I think, yeah, well, I think, you know, they, they, for years they just tried to hang it off uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan. Yeah. Like, it's 21 years since Ronnie O'Sullivan had that 147 break <sighs> in four minutes and 37 seconds or whatever yeah. it was. It's 21 it's years ago. Long. And the same length, Ken Doherty's World Championship. Exactly, and of course, yeah. he sadly fell at the final he, qualifying hurdle. Indeed, yeah. Week. So he, uh, but I think there are more characters around this year, you know, as, mm. well. I don't know, you'd be loath to call Mark Selby much of a character, but but his his games over the last few years have been great. Yeah. Uh, and Judd Trump and Ding Junhui and a few others. Yeah. Um, it's very, yeah, I'll, I'll be glued to it now. There was a good piece in, I think it was Time magazine, with um, Ding Junhui, um, talking about, you know, he's been tipped for so long, he'll be mm. the first Chinese world champion. He came close, I think, year before yeah, last. Yeah, he was uh, he made the final. But um, he was quite funny about it, though. He, he said, just snooker is so boring. He kind of really doesn't like snooker very so? much. Yeah. <laughs> and he would not encourage his child to ever play the game because it's just completely boring. So it wasn't the best PR. Like, well, to be fair, ever. no, I'm not sure anybody has ever really uh, claimed it to have been anything less than sedate. And <laughs> maybe that's its selling point. Yeah. I think my favourite um, story from the week, they were talking about Jimmy White who sadly fell at the qualifying hurdle mm. as well. Jimmy's now 55. Yeah. And uh, like the oldest world champion ever was 48, Ray Rudin. So why does age matter in snooker? Because you stop caring. Do you? Yeah. You've That's genuinely it. No, genuinely it? I remember Steve Davis answering this. Oh, really? And Stephen Hendry. They just go, you don't care enough. It's to not your eyesight or your no, concentration. No, your eyesight is fine. You're, you're, you're well able to stand up on your two feet. <laughs> All that sort of carry on. There's no physical and. But you'd imagine some of them could do with a few quid. like. But it just seems like once you get kind of to 46-ish, mm. that's it. Your hopes of ever winning it again are gone. I think it's just the practice. They just can't be arse putting maybe. In, the, in the 10 hours a day of practice. Maybe. And of course, Jimmy was making big money from poker. So maybe, yeah, the, the <laughs> hunger was gone. But I was checking to see what Jimmy was up to uh, lately, apart from the poker. And the last story I could find on him... Um, had one of the great headlines UKIP candidate investigated for election corruption after distributing sausage rolls at Jimmy White event Mira so, I'm going to ask you yeah. not to read the rest of the story <laughs> sometimes the majesty of a headline <laughs> needs to sit alone it does. Well, the story is kind of all in the headline there's, really there's nothing left yeah. to say there but yeah a little sad maybe that Jimmy is a UKIP man Kind of. Well, he certainly was when that happened. That yeah. was in 2015. I don't know if... Yeah. Uh, we, who, who are we to pronounce upon Jimmy White's... Well, uh, that's true. That's true, yeah. I just thought he'd Political leanings these days. A Trotskyite or something. He I could have been, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe, You wouldn't know, maybe the sausage roll thing <laughs> sent him scurrying away from UKIP and resolved to live a better life. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, Jimmy, of course. Jimmy was kind of the most Salah of snooker, really, wasn't he? Indeed kind of, he was. It just made it look easy. Yeah. It, made, it convinced you, you too could be, like, you know, a genius at the game. And kind of like Mo, well, on that, yeah. levitated kind yeah. of around the table. Feet never touched the ground. <laughs> it was just silky smooth. So, we'll leave, yeah. Uh, yeah, we leave the high, last word of this uh, to Donald Clark, whose piece in today's Irish Times is, is great reading for anybody.
It says, all of this is in service for a game that at its highest level beautifully meshes the miraculous and the possible. The best players demonstrate a knowledge of geometry and an aptitude for applied kinetics that no creation of the Marvel Universe could match. But the mortals still dream. No ordinary person could ever drive a golf ball 350 yards. No average Joe could serve as fast as Venus Williams. But like the hypothetical monkey typing Shakespeare, an everyday snooker fan might just, if he or she tries a thousand times, sink that long, long black and hold for the tricky red. It's a sport of feasible achievement. That it is. <laughs> On to a sport of uh, somewhat feasible achievement, although not at the same level. The London Marathon is this weekend, uh, and we have in the studio somebody who has run the London Marathon, Ian O'Reardon. Yes, good morning, Malachi. Just thinking there, though, snooker and marathon running, probably two of the few sports where you can actually play and drink at the same time. True. If you think about it. Ooh, well, <laughs> I, this is certainly true, although yeah. I'm not sure you would get through much of the London Marathon with the uh, 20 pints. Well, you know what I mean, you know what I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, I'm not suggesting snooker players are drinking 20 pints during, during, a, during a game either. But, uh, that would have been just one frame for Bill Wormley, <laughs> really. But no, it is great. I, I agree with that. It's one of those sports where you've grown up as a kid, you kind of watch and think, you know, I could do that. Yeah. Um, but, but no, and then you realise when you just start to play it that there actually is a bit, bit more involved. Um, a bit like marathon running, well, actually. Well, I was just going to say, sadly for you, you you looked at marathon running and said, hey, I could do that, and, yes. and went on to, and you're still not stopped like, doing like, it. Like, like many athletes, um, I mean, the big the big interest, obviously, in Sunday's race in London is, is Mo Farah moving up to the marathon. Now, he ran London four years ago as a kind of a, a test run, yeah. if that makes sense, just to sort of get the feel of the distance. He finished... Seventh or eight, around about two oh eight. Not a bad run, but uh, but Sunday, this is this is his first proper go at us. I mean, he's finished on the track now, so this is all about moving up to the marathon for the to- Tokyo Olympics in jeez, uh, just over two years now. So a lot of interest in Mo. Um, just ran down for the mountains there myself. I was telling Mary, and it's it's, it's warm out there. I think they're yeah. they're expecting about twenty five degrees um, in London on yeah. Sunday, which is which it's, it's a record for the London Marathon. So that will be a huge factor. For like, it's not just about about Mo. Obviously, I mean, there's forty. I think to get it's the numbers are crazy. They had something like three hundred eighty thousand applicants, just applicants to run, and then they they pick forty thousand mostly by lottery. So huge interest in in this in this in this race beyond beyond the elite race. But I definitely think heat would be a factor um, at so many levels. And anybody who's been kind of training through what's been kind of a nuclear winter here, I think, is in for a bit of a, a bit of a shock on Sunday. Let's talk about Mo for a little bit. He's um, an interesting figure in that I'm not really sure I can get a handle on him. How how we ought to feel about Mo Farah these days. Like on the face of it, if you if if all you did was look at the sort of top half of his Wikipedia entry, you'd go, This is one of the greatest athletes of all time. This is a guy and he's living now. He's in this era. You know, we don't have to go back to, you know, Cram and Co and Ovet and all these guys. This guy is running now. He's double world champion, double 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 world champion, double double Olympic champion, all that sort of stuff. He should be the guy that athletics is hung on, like that that is that brings a revival in the sport, all of this sort of stuff. And yet, I don't know, there's just too many questions, too much doubt there and and it's hard to know how to feel about it. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Malik. And I think in many ways, Mo Farah is, he kind of represents that kind of modern sporting star and certainly in athletics and track and fields, possibly in cycling as well. You think about think about Chris Froome is probably in the same boat. Uh, I, Froome was the other name that just yeah. sprung straight to mind. You know? I, I, I still think though, I think him winning the BBC Sports Personality of the Year, I'll obviously surprise a lot of people, but I, I think in some ways it was kind of a vote to say, look, <laughs> there comes a point when, you know, there are a lot of questions, we know that. And there, absolutely, there always will be about Mo Farah for a whole variety of reasons, which... I won't go into now, but probably the, the single, the single most. Uh, um, oh, Dorian, we'll the, go into them. The, the single, <laughs> I suppose, the single biggest doubt you'd have about O'Farrell is like, I mean, he was a pretty not ordinary athlete, but he wasn't. A, he wasn't a great athlete. He was mm. a kind of he was a, of a standard where he was kind of European champion and um, knocking around at a few world championships. But and so, for and for a long time, exactly, like up, up, up until about 26, 27. Yeah, and then suddenly he moves to Alberto Salazar in the US. He. He uh, spends a lot of time training down in Ethiopia and Kenya, and he literally transforms himself. I mean, you know, he's one of these athletes. He probably had about, you know, zero percent body fat. He got down to zero point seven percent. Like his, his physique mm. did change mm. in subtle ways. Um, his times, his times didn't improve that much, but he 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 was effectively unbeatable on the track against against Kenyans and Ethiopians who had been unbeatable for years. Um, a lot, of, a lot of the questions, though, were by association. I mm. mean, you, you, there's no doubt. I mean, the Salazar group had had a history of like working in that grey area, which we all know of is the, you know, the, the thyroid medications, the asthma, asthma medications, the various vitamin, vitamin supplements D that and they all that take. Sort of stuff. Um, but, but, but even saying that, Ian, like the by association questions, really ought to be the easiest ones to swat away. Yes, you know what I mean? Yes, like, yeah. like if you have, you know, stuff like like uh, missing tests and stuff like that, that's sometimes harder to, to shift the doubt away from. But if your associations are with dodgy people, then you cut those ties with dodgy people. You make a show of cutting those ties with dodgy people. Like, for instance, Laura Muir this yes, week, yes, uh, yeah. the, the, the Scottish runner. She's Scottish, isn't she? Yes. Um, Exactly like that. You know, she was going to join up with uh, uh, McHenry, is that, a, yes, that his the, name? Yes, he's a, the strength and conditioning yeah. coach. Uh, going to join up with him, you know, and and says, you know, that, that she is not at all worried about his associations or his past or anything like that. But she has just decided, no. I'm not doing that. But that was more the reaction, I think, to, to, yeah. to, the, to the public response to yeah. it. Like, I think she was, you know, I think she was a little bit disappointed by that. But, but you're right about Mo Farah. But I think it's important to state he has completely distanced himself from Salazar. He's got no relationship with Salazar now. Eventually, yeah, you know, he's got. I mean, there has been, I know, situations where he's been caught tra- training down in Kenya and certainly Ethiopia with um, Aden, who's a, who's an, uh, you know, has done has been actually caught dist- uh, distributing. Uh, EPO and drugs. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, of course, there always will be doubts about Mo Farah. You're absolutely right. And I think, I also think that it has to, there is a point when you have to kind of go, okay, maybe, maybe he has moved on. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've got, got to be careful what I say here now. He's trained by Paula Radcliffe's coach Indeed, now, yeah. Gary, Locke. Gary Locke. Now, yeah. I mean, some people might, some people might raise certain questions about Paula Radcliffe's marathon winning times for no other reason than they're so far ahead of everybody else, if that's enough reason to doubt them. Um, but you're right. We'll always have questions about Mo Farah. Do I doubt him? Yeah, I have, I've certainly doubted him at periods. Um, is he running clean at the moment? Possibly. Is that enough to believe his performance on Sunday? I mean, if he comes out and runs a world record on Sunday, I'll be the first person to put my hand up and say, I, I, I don't believe it because yeah. I don't think a man can yeah, suddenly... Yeah, because he's not going to win on Sunday. I don't think he's going to no, win on Sunday. No, no, no. I think this is all about moving up towards, as I say, Tokyo 2020. It's, it's a stacked race, by the way. I think it'll be competitive. Um, I think if it comes down to a, a, a sprint finish, he, he may well come close to win us. But... Um, 
you've got the Kenyan runner in there, Uliad Kipchoge, who he may not be a household name, but is probably the greatest marathon runner of all time. He's the Olympic champion. Um, you might remember last year they set up this kind of a, a sort of a kind of a sham marathon. They're going to try and break two hours. They ran around Monza racing track and they had all sorts of, you know, I don't know how you describe it, like windbreakers, whatever, to break two hours. And he came very close. He ran just two hours and 20 seconds, like which, which by any standards was a, was, a, was a phenomenal run. I think he will win on Sunday. You've got Kenanisi Bekele is still knocking around. Um, from, he's been going, he's going way back. He's, he, he wouldn't know what might come up there. So it's a stacked race. It'll be interesting to see how Mo gets on. And I mean, if he does win, I think, I think unfortunately people will be asking questions again how can a man who's suddenly you know moved to track and within six months he's he's you know he's he's mastered the marathon so I don't know how can like even I saw a line from Gary Locke during the week and he was he was saying it in a in a kind of a this guy is a marvel kind of way but yet it it Flicked my antenna a bit. He he said he he quoted the time that Mo had run for the fifteen hundred meters. Yeah, three twenty eight or something I know, like I know. that. That's, all, that's way go, off the charts. By and the way, and it goes like somebody like that can't possibly, yeah. shouldn't possibly become a marathon champion. But that's who this guy is. And I'm kind of looking at it, going, Jesus, Gary, I, I don't know if I'd be roaring about yes. that from the rooftops. Yes, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, for, I mean that's again, that's like I mean there have been points a lot points along Mo Farah's career when you kind of go. Hang on a second here, you know, and it's 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 his recovery and his ability to sort of bounce back when he, I mean he, I mean he was, what was it four Olympic gold medals? I think six World Championship gold medals. As you say, he should be right up there, but unfortunately, he just hasn't really warmed to the wider athletics public, and they're the ones who are essentially going to champion these athletes. And uh, you know, I mean, but to answer your question, <laughs> you know, does do, do I know, you know, is he, is he is he legit or not? I mean, I don't I don't think I can say give you a yes or no, no answer. No, and I wouldn't be asking for it. Funny, I, I think I'm just more interested in the in the area around this, and even for somebody like you, you know, that, that's covered this sport for nearly 25 years now, I guess, you know, and, and you know, we're, we're deep in it yourself, all yes, that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, how how do you approach these these things now? Yeah, no, I think I think, I think Mo Farah is, is a great runner. I think when he won the 10,000 metres there in London during the summer, I mean, you, you know, he just, just the way he ran it. Now, again, I mean, this may well be influenced by what he's taking or not taking, but I mean, the way he kind of just played around with the Kenyans and he'd sit at the back of the field and, you know, he he he, he runs like a guy who knows, you know, who has mastered the track events. So you, he's, there's, there is a lot to admire in him. And, As in, like, the, the tactical side of it? The tactical of side kind of, of it, the right, way he doesn't yeah, yeah. panic. I mean, he actually nearly tripped and fell at one stage and he was very cool about that. Now, again, I know these things can be can be influenced by, by other factors as well, but, but his performances on the track, you know, have been... Um, I think certainly have been right up there, and, and I think that's why I think on Sunday it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. I mean, he's going to be he's going to be very hard to beat. I think he's if, if they go on a world record pace, he's going to go with them. So yeah, it, it is sad. It, it's it's difficult, but I think that's just a reflection of where the sport is. And I think it's it, we, we'll never go back today. We can believe everything you see, yeah. po- possibly not. Um, but I do think it's at some point you have to just you have to just watch the race for what it is and watch it as unfold, and maybe maybe, maybe park your sense of belief. Yeah, and I think that may, may I think you make a reasonable point about certainly about the sports personality award because it is nothing other than a popularity contest yes, and I remember yeah. the shock of that last year you know that that um, what was it it was it was it Anthony Joshua was the unbackable favourite yes, and Mo Farah yeah. was 40 to 1 on the day which maybe just showed I was thinking afterwards like showed it just a 
I don't know, a, a kind of a, a, a media disentanglement from the general public. And maybe maybe all the BBC cheerleading, maybe the, the absolute lack of any critical analysis of Mo on BBC when he's when he's in these championships, maybe that all feeds into it and, and the public the public backed him in, in yards. Because all that is is, is a phone in vote, like it's not yes, or, yeah, or yeah. you know, it, it's a public vote. So maybe we're all wrong. You know, maybe the, the media stuff about it uh, like I, I prefaced all this about you know, God, I don't know how to feel about this guy. And maybe I'm completely just detached from from how actual people feel. And maybe he is this hero. No, in no, Britain. no, no. Well, again, I, could, I appreciate what you say. I don't, I don't think anybody sees himself there as a, a hero. But I, I certainly think you know within the sport. I mean, he's not, he's not unpopular by any means either. Like you know, when you go back to, I'm not going to make comparisons with Lance Armstrong. Like Lance Armstrong was not you know, a popular no, side exactly, of any yeah. imagination. Yeah. Oh, far as he's not unpopular within the within the athletics world per se again it goes back to his it goes back to his history and and we and I I can tell you one thing he is definitely working in that grey area like he's on I mean we know he's on asthma, uh, we know he's on thyroid medication which, which can be quite dangerous I'd like to see his list of TUEs which obviously we can see but I'd say there's quite a few things on there he does not need to be taking is that crossing the ethical moral line well possibly it is in some people's eyes is it crossing the illegal line no obviously not because he's, he's you know he's allowed to take these substances but um We'll see on Sunday. We'll, we'll, you know, as I say, if he comes out and breaks the world record, we might be asking a lot more questions about him. And this, this is the really sad part. This is the really sad part, I suppose. When you think of any sporting, and I put Chris Froome or anybody who's at the top of the game at the moment. I mean, if they did fail a drug test, would would we be surprised? No. But that's the biggest. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. biggest question. And and if you if you if your answer to that is no, you know, that's I think that reflects that's the thing. Where, yeah, where and the Froome, the Froome thing is the perfect parallel there because. You know, I, much like Farah, you know, Froome, Froome should be seen, for what he's done in the last few years, should be seen as one of the absolute greatest sports yes, people in yeah, history. Yeah. And yet, as soon as the, the TUE thing came through at the end of the year, everybody went, oh yeah, sure, we presumed that was the case. And not know? popular in the peloton as all, yeah. also, by the way, again, it's a bit of a, bit of a, bit of a telling factor. Um, but look, it is, and it, that's why, that's why. Well, by the way, marathon running, funnily enough, of all the events, I mean, it's the most unpredictable as well. I mean, you tried to, try to predict, I was looking at the field here this morning, I don't know if anybody was watching the, the Boston Marathon on Monday where they had the absolute opposite. It was running like probably the worst conditions they've ever had. Run into a headwind and all the favourites pretty much dropped out. You had, okay, the American woman, um, um, Desiree Lendon, was, was I think a relative favourite. She, she won the race. But I think the second place finish in the women's race was like a part-time nurse from yeah. Boston who happened, you know, just showed up on <laughs> the day more or less. She finished second and won herself 100 grand. The, the Japanese winner, um, Yuki uh, Kawauchi, has run about, I think, 100 marathons last year. Um, he's run three marathons already this year. And it was a great line, Mary, you'll enjoy this. At the, at the start of the race, when he sprinted off, one of the American commentators said, well, give him another five kilometres and somebody's going to hand him a piano to carry, you know, <laughs> and he ended up winning the thing. So um, that, that, that'll tell you a little bit, a bit about marathon running. But uh, yeah, no, London, and by the way, I should, I should mention as well, that's 20 years to the day since Katrina McKiernan won London, 1998. Yeah. And I think I can safely say the first and last Irish person to win a London marathon. And we, forget, we forget sometimes just, just how good she was. Yeah. She also won Berlin, she won Amsterdam. And it's a pity we don't have a few more Irish athletes at that level who might be, be knocking around. The event has moved on, but I still think if Katrina was around today, running at her best, we'd be talking about her as, as a contender to win. Interesting. Well, as you were telling me earlier, there's 10 hours of coverage of it on BBC uh, on Sunday. I won't watch all 10 hours, 
but I might tune in if if I if I see on Twitter that uh, Mo is doing well, I might uh, take a look in at it. Listen, Ian, thanks a million for coming in to talk to us about that. Thanks so much to Mary for helping us out again, no digging us out of trouble when uh, my uh, partner in crime is off gallivanting. Uh, thanks a million to Declan uh, behind the desk. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, our email is time at irishtimes.com. You can get me at Maliki Clerken on Twitter. And that's about it. Any other business? No, none. Okay, see you all next week, folks. Cheers. Added Time is sponsored by Bank of Ireland, proudly supporting the Irish Heart Foundation and its CPO for Schools programme, equipping secondary school teachers and students with the skills to save lives.